0: i fly away, O oh to join us today worshiping our king if you're joining us online uh, we're glad that you're here as well let's all worship king jesus together however the holy spirit leads you to worship
1: tongue can bid me thence depart. As Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there
2: who made
1: an end to all my sin. so the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die, my sinful soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior.
2: this morning we're going to do something a little different. Um, Instead of reading scripture, we're going to read something um, called the Apostles' Creed, um, which is a wonderful piece of the history of our faith um, that started um, in the early church as a way to just declare what it is that we believe um, as a core doctrine. Um, And so I'd love for you to stand and read it along with me. I believe and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, amen.
0: God
3: together. Lord Jesus, we love you and we're thankful that we can gather together on a regular systematic basis to remind each other of the goodness of our daddy in heaven. Father, I thank you for those that are able to be away on vacation. We got a lot of people away and we're just so thankful that they have the resources to do that, to get away with their children and their grandchildren, just enjoy each other. And Father God, we thank you for the technology that allows us to be with them and them with us. And it is my prayer, Lord Jesus, that as we turn our eyes on you this morning, that the things of the earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll dismiss the kids at this time for their GPS. Uh, Josh, we thank you so much for leading worship this morning. Um, I was informed this morning that Chad is down in Houston with a bunch of people trying to start a competing church or something, so... You can laugh, that's a joke, he's not. Uh, but uh, they're down there on vacation with some friends who come from the church and they're just having a wonderful time. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to have people that can fill in for us. You know, every Sunday morning, this room, uh, people start coming at about 7.30 in the morning to prepare for our time together. And I appreciate them so much. And uh, I tease them because the only time most of them are ever noticed is when something bad happens. And uh, so we appreciate all the technical. A lot of you have enjoyed our online ministry and uh, that's <coughs> excuse me. That's made possible because these people come in early and to prepare and to get us technically ready. So I, man, we just I just thank you all so much uh, for coming in and doing that and uh, allowing the Lord to use you in that way. We find ourselves this morning at the end of our study of Peter's two letters, uh, and, we, uh, and with Peter's departing thoughts to them, and, and here they are in Second Peter three, the last two verses in the book. And we have them as verses 17 and 18. I want to remind you, for those of you who haven't been with us before, you don't understand, the Bible is actually not one book, but it is a library of books. It's actually a library of 66 books and letters written over a period of 1,400 years by at least 44 different authors, predominantly men, but we don't know about a couple books. And there are some beliefs that maybe Hebrews was penned by a woman We don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that all of these books over 1,400 years, written by people who didn't know each other, had one thing in common, and that's that they all bow the knee to Jehovah. They all followed him, and they all tell a consistent story. And the New Testament writes to the church during the period of time in which we live for the past 2,000 years, and Peter writes and wraps up his two letters, and I'll talk about how we got them and why we got them in a moment. But he wraps them up with, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. So please notice that he, 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 and I'll mention it again later, but he describes their present circumstance, their present spiritual health when he writes this letter, and he refers to them as being on secure footing. So he's writing about concerns he has for the future, not at the present. Rather than lose your secure footing, he says, rather you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. Before we get into the meat of these two verses, I just want to take a moment to talk about how Peter addresses his readers. Now, while we enjoy these letters, I want to make it clear that while they're for us, to learn from theology, to learn the impetus of our life as exiles. I want to remind you that these letters were not written to you. They were written to people that Peter had shepherded, people he had ministered to. And for four, this is the fourth time in his second letter. It's only three chapters. As it was broken down way later after Peter, when, when these letters were written in the New Testament, when the Old Testament books were written, they didn't have chapters and verses as most of you know. We've broken them down so that this morning I can say we're in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. But frankly, this was one letter, and these are his final thoughts. But before he shares with them his final thoughts, he calls them dear friends. This is the fourth time in this relatively short letter that he refers to them as dear friends, and I love the affection with which he writes them. There are other letters in the New Testament that express frustration. I refer you to Galatians or to try to wake people up who may think that they're saved but are not saved. I refer to you Romans. We'll get into that. But the reality is this letter is written out of a loving heart to the concern he has for people that he calls and considers friends. As as I thought about this this past week, I I just have this fear, and this is just my thoughts, that the affection between Peter and these folks is rare to find within the church and the body of Christ today. It seems like from the pastor's point of view, that ministry that flows out of love for the flock, that, that is the impetus for everything we do from preaching and teaching to discipling to confronting sin to leading and administrating, it seems like it, 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 it comes out of today a, a desire to be a good leader, uh, obsessed with traditional biblical doctrine uh, a, a, uh, that is often secondary in level and a desire to write a book, or blog, or grow a church. All things that, that aren't bad things, but they're supposed to grow out of love. I want to remind you that 1 Corinthians 13 says that even if I have all knowledge, even if I know everything, if I could speak, if I could speak in the tongues of angels, if I could have so much faith that I could move a mountain, if I were that good, Paul is saying, but I don't love, I'm just noisy. And I think a lot of us would have to agree that a lot of pastoral ministry today is just noise. Not that they're not telling the truth, not that they're not leading well, but love is gone. I want to remind you that when Paul or when Jesus wrote a letter through the Apostle John to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, his concern wasn't their doctrine, his concern wasn't their, their, their uh, dealing with sin, or even their faithfulness in persecution. His concern for them was that they didn't love him, Jesus, or each other like they once had. And, and I, just, I, I was just thinking about this today, or this week, and, and this morning as I was preparing our time, that, that the church's ministry, the signpost of the church, of a healthy church, is not just good doctrine. It's not just an obsession with scripture. It's actually a love relationship. It's a loving relationship between the pastor and his flock. And a pastor is supposed to, a shepherd is supposed to minister out of his love, not his head. He's supposed to minister out of his heart that motivates his head into action. And from the congregation side, it seems like the respect and affections readers had for Peter or shepherds in the past has now been replaced by a desire to be told what you want to hear, what you already believe, or you need to, be, or, or, or need to be personally affirmed, or any number of things that Satan throws into the family of faith to create mistrust and discord. I hear often, and, and, and look, I love being affirmed, and I love that we agree, but I hear a lot, this is where God is calling us, because the things you say, I believe. Can, can I just say that, that's a little bit dangerous because then one day, while I try to be obsessed with Scripture with you, that puts you in a position of finding your next church or finding your next pastor if he simply agrees with you doctrinally. And while we all should agree on the gospel salvation through faith in Christ alone and what the Scripture says, we actually gather together as students of God's Word. We're not teachers, we're students, including myself. I go to Scripture each week to study, to see what the Word of God says in its time and how that applies to us in our time. That's what I do all week. Some of you wonder what I do for a living. I have kids ask all the time, so what's your real job? (laughs) I am blessed, and it hasn't always been this way, to be vocational. That means you pay me, and primarily while I meet with people and I do funerals and weddings and Uh, I primarily study in the Scriptures and pray for you. I try to minister to you. That's what I do. And you, your faithfulness, makes it possible for me to do that as an occupation. But it hasn't always been that way, and I fear that in the future it won't be that way. That as the faithful men and women of God, and through His Word, I think it's going to shrink Uh, I don't know why we're surprised at that. I don't want it to happen. But the reason I think it's going to shrink is, as God raises us up and shows us what is true following of Jesus, the Scripture clearly says that the path is narrow. I think Christianity and the evangelical church has made it fairly easy to be a Christian in this culture, and I think it's going to get harder and harder. And and that means that there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, of the chaff and the serious wheat. And, and, And you can disagree with me. That's just my thought on the future but our, 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 as you seek a shepherd, and as you look to be shepherded, it should be out of love. He should love you, not just want to inform you, but, but your goal should not be as you come to church every week. I sure hope he says what I already believe. Your goal should be, I would like to see what the scripture says and have it change how I perceive the world. Are, are you following me? I don't, you shouldn't come here to hear what Mark says or what Zach says when he preaches, or what Adam says when he preaches. You should come here to hear from God through His Word. And that's why it's important that you always have Scripture in front of you. We put it on the screen, but I want you to be so tied to to your Bible that you evaluate everything. And I invite you to come and meet with me and share with me where I'm wrong from the Scriptures. And I've made a promise, and you've seen it happen a few times, As you do that, I will share it with the flock. I was wrong theologically or doctrinally on this, or what I said last week was misunderstood, so let me clarify. Because at the end of the day, all of us, including your pastor, comes here as a student of God's Word, not as a master of God's Word. Does that make sense? And it it feels, feels, whatever that's worth, feels like to me that we live in a time where people are being graduated out of seminaries with doctorates or or master's degrees or whatever, and they're mounting the pulpit as if they are a master or a doctor of truth, and that's not simply the case. As we spend the rest of our lives as men and women of God studying the Scriptures, God refines us. There are things. uh, Swindoll said that if he had to go back and defend some of the theology in his books that he wrote early on in his ministry, he couldn't do it. And if Chuck Swindoll struggles with that, you better believe. Well, I'm smarter than Chuck Swindoll. Why do you laugh when I make comments like that? No, it's it's funny. We're all in this together, and we're all students. That makes sense. And if we all surround ourselves with God's word, if we all come here obsessed with God's word, if we all come here wanting to learn from God as students, then we don't have this combative thing. Well, I didn't. What did you think of the message today? Well, I didn't like Mark. I get that. That's how we talk. But the truth isn't whether I like Mark. The truth is whether or not Mark rightly divided the word of truth. And and there's going to be times I know. And there's going to be, hopefully, most of the time I do. But that's one of the reasons you go into Bible study, some at 8.30, some after, to, to wrestle through the Scriptures that I've taught. And most of our Bible studies do that so that you can disagree with me as long as you have Scripture to validate your point of view. It is not valid to say, I refuse to believe in a God who. That's actually how cults start. It's not okay. What is okay is, I have, what, how, do you, how do you pastor or how do you Bible study teacher, how do, you, how do you take this passage in what you just said, because this passage seems to be in conflict. So, so you are men and women of God. You are men and women of the Word. And if we're going to have this love relationship that Peter has with them, there has to be a mutual respect that grows out of love for each other. And I just think it's incredible that after all that's gone on, Peter addresses them, I love you. I mean, you can feel his love for them as you read this. If we were to take away the building, we would all be stinky this morning. Okay, just, just get that out. I really thought about changing my message to a message on hell. All right, just because it's so hot outside. Do you, do you guys know that yesterday was the hottest day recorded for this month in East Texas, 104 at the airport. Okay, you're sleeping. That's a good time to preach on hell as a pastor, just so you know. Because it's hot. Thank you. The second time around worked. But but I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's hot out. Are, are you thankful for air conditioning? But... <laughs> That was the most energetic you've been this morning. But but if we were to remove this building, and if we were to move the structure, and if we were to move the giving, remove the giving, if we were to move all of the, the organizational stuff, if we removed all of the sound system, we would still be the church. We would be the body of Christ. If you couldn't afford a vocational pastor, or three of them as we have, or four of them that we have, we would still be the church. If we just gathered in the parking lot, or at a... At a I mean, right now, Clay and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. There is a church that's predominantly homeless people that meets in what park is it, Clay? Kiwanis Park every Sunday and I think on Wednesday nights. It's called Church in What is it? A Church of the Park. Really creative name. They they need to work on their creativity. But Church at the Park, and they meet. And guess what? Anybody who gathers in the park who are children of God, that's a church. That's a gathering and they have teaching and discipleship, and there are certain things that the church is supposed to do, and there are certain structural organization, elders and deacons. But the truth is that, that while in the West, in this culture, we have these wonderful things added to it, that we, we will never cease to be the church until we go home, and then we're the children of God, kingdom children, and we can even debate whether the church exists in heaven. But, but, the, but the fact is that we are, are the church not because of all of this and all of this, but because of what happened here. And Peter is addressing that in love for them. I mean, and I I guess that's the thing that I wanted to start with this morning is, let's be the church not because of what we do, but because of what we are. Let's love each other, you guys, not because of what we do, but because of what we are. Let's love each other not because of how we vote, or how we see millennials, or how, Whatever. I don't, I don't know, I can't even think this morning of stuff. What we think of the war in Ukraine, we are the church whether we disagree on those things or not. We are the church. And because we're the church, Satan has a vested interest in us not liking each other and dividing us. Let's choose love over division. Well, what's going to happen to the country if we just... The same thing that's going to happen to the country if you do. This is all. If you need to be reminded, read Revelation. It's fairly clear. And it's coming fast. We may go home soon. And in 100,000 years when we've just entered heaven, all the stuff we thought was important isn't going to be important. So I was, I was moved by that personally, and I thought, I thought it was worthy of taking a moment to say that. Peter, Peter loves these people, and they love him back. And Peter's, well, he's a little bit freaked out. I, I use that word kind of lightly, But as I read 1 and 2 Peter, Peter's very concerned. And how do I know that? Because 2 Peter 1 tells us why. Therefore, because of all this stuff, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. So again, we have Peter saying, you guys are doing a great job. You are standing firm. I'm proud of you. This isn't what I'm I'm reminding you. What I'm going over and over, and I know some of you feel that I repeat every week, it's only because I do. There's only two applications of Scripture become a child of God, or surrender your life to Him, there's no other application. The application of Scripture is not be a better dad, not be a better husband, not be a better wife. Those things will happen if you are living out the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? And one of the things I think Satan has done to the church, just my opinion, is he has got us to talk about how to behave, your, behave the way that we should behave inhabited by the Holy Spirit and under the control of the Holy Spirit. He is teaching us how to behave that way without the Holy Spirit. And that's dangerous. If every week we gather and all you hear is three steps to being a better person, you might become a better person from a human point of view without being surrendered to God. And that is dangerous spiritually. You understand why that's dangerous, right? Well, at least I will have been a better person. In hell, that doesn't matter. The truth is that God transforms and and, and uh, um, So so he, he says again, you guys are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. It is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Well, that's weird. Why would he say that? Well, because our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. And as we've been talking about 2 Peter, I've referred to it quite often as a swan song because Peter really, he's in jail. We believe he has already been imprisoned by Nero. We believe uh, he knows how he's going to die because it tells us that Jesus told him on that walk that Jesus and him took a week after the resurrection. It says that Jesus walked with Peter alone and told him how he was going to die. So Peter knows that he's going to be crucified. And now Peter's been made aware by the Holy Spirit that that time is coming. And what's he doing? He's being a loving, concerned father. He's concerned that his imminent death will leave them without someone to care and protect them and and push them back to truth, and they're not ready for that. It's kind of like a dad dropping his 23-year-old daughter off in her new home in Dallas. She's the right age. She's been trained well, raised well. She's been told what she needs to know, but as you contemplate driving off, moving her into her uptown Dallas apartment next weekend, you start fearing that she's going to forget some of those things. Did that sound familiar? That's what we're doing next weekend. We're moving Anna to Dallas. She's moving into this wicked community. I don't know why she's got to go to Dallas, but God doesn't always let me know, but she's moving to Dallas next weekend, and next Friday we're moving her there, and Julie's going to stay with her a week and decorate her apartment, and I'm going to come back and cry, and, and it's going to be great. It's time. Some of you you know know that there were other opportunities, but she went, we've got a picture of her in as a freshman in high school. We took her at Christmas. I, it was real young. It may have been sophomore. But um, we have a picture of her in front of the Deloitte building, the Chase building in downtown Dallas, and she's standing in front of the Deloitte sign with her hands up. Because she said, someday I'm going to work there. Well, that someday starts in September. I know. She's driven. She's a Wilkie. It's what we do. We set our, what is, Proverbs says that I, you, a man sets his path, but God sets our steps. He doesn't even mess with us. He just goes, okay, go ahead. But she, <laughs> I'm kidding. But she, she wanted to work there, so she's moving to, to, to uh, Dallas, <coughs> living downtown in, in Uptown, which is about a half mile. She's going to live closer to work than I do and start a different life there. And we're proud of her, and she needs it. It's good for her. But it's weird. I mean, I think we've trained her well, and we as you and Julie and I, all of us, you've discipled her. She started under Donna's children's ministry, and then Donna abandoned ship because she hates us and went over and worked at Mosaic Center. I'm not bitter about it. I I forgive you. But, But Donna went over there, and then Alicia came on, and you all have loved my kids. And another one's leaving us, you guys. It's what happens. You know, one of the things that I learned, and I shared this with you before this last Christmas as I read through the genealogies, which I find incredibly boring, okay? I know, I admit it. You think part of the Bible's boring? Have you ever read Deuteronomy? How about Chronicles? Oh, it's boring. It's important, but It's boring. But one of the things that God showed me as I read through the genealogies the only one who lives forever is Yahweh. David, Abraham, Moses, they died. Mark's going to die. Life goes on. God's faithful. And so we have to trust Him. He's the constant. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Man, and And we got to put our hope and our focus in Him, and there's a time, and Annie's time here is done. And she's probably driving right now. She was in Dallas this weekend. She's going to some Satan church in Dallas this morning. There's no good churches in Dallas. So she's driving back listening to this, and I expect, Annie, that you're crying, because if you're not, I'm mad. But the the truth is, it's, it's her time, isn't it? And we all have that time. We all have that time. And Peter came to realize that it was his time, and Oh no, I know God's going to watch over these people, but they're so sure-footed, they're doing so well, and when I'm gone, 2 Peter 3.17, and so he concludes his letter with, I'm warning you ahead of time. Isn't this a practical letter? Isn't this incredibly practical? It's how you feel. It's how you feel as a grandparent. It's how you feel as a dad. Oh, I know, son, you're such a good boy, but let me warn you about things that I didn't get to tell you about. There's never enough time. I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. These wicked people, and and, man, this is so much fun this morning because I get to really lay something out. The the Christians that Peter is writing to were afraid of Nero. They were afraid of their family members they were afraid of the persecutors. They were afraid of their life among unsaved people as exiles. They were afraid of that, but they were not afraid of the church. And here is Peter in his second letter telling them, you actually need to be afraid of these wicked people. And, and you would think, now if you've read Second Peter or studied with us, you know who these wicked people are. But for those who haven't, I want to read who they are. Because it appears to me that Peter's bigger concern for these believers wasn't Nero, who would feed them to the lions, but it was actually, well, let me read it. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 to 16. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of the ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created, End quote. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used that same water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people would think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Look, Looking forward to the day of God hurrying it along, on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. And, and I just want to make a reference to two of my friends who was debating this this week. I think the earth is destroyed in the end. I think we get a new heaven and a new earth. And we're talking about whether or not God resurrects the old earth and the old and I, for those two people, and they know who they are, this is one of the reasons. This doesn't sound like it's renewed. It sounds like it's destroyed. So a little side point this morning for that. Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, that's where the people that he's writing to we're at. That's where we're at. Come on, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come back. While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Well, we got to learn that, don't we? And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. And I, I, I love this. This gets kind of funny here. Speaking of all the things in all of his letters, some of his comments are kind of hard to understand. Pay attention to that. This is a personal letter. I love that. You know, Paul was kind of lofty at times. And sometimes we have no idea what he's talking about. Like, for instance, and he doesn't say that here. Like, for instance, this heaven thing where he goes up into the heavens. Well, you know, the church has been arguing that forever. What did that mean? How many heavens then are there? You know what? Paul was a little wasted that day. I'm kidding. Every word is inspired and inerrant. But the truth is, even even in biblical times, He's talking about how some complain about Paul's writings because they're hard to understand. Aren't you relieved? Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. Oh, those wicked guys. Does that sound familiar today? It's been going on since Peter's time. This will result in their destruction. Those are the wicked guys that Peter is concerned about after he's gone, that will take them off of their steady footing. These wicked wolves in sheep's clothing that are so good at performing, that are so good at sounding authoritative, and the people have become so naive in their understanding of God's truth. And I want to say, well, they didn't have the Bible in their times. They had access to the Torah. They had access to synagogues where they could read the old Covenant. And the old covenant wasn't that separate from the new because people were always saved by faith in God alone. And it was God that promised a sacrifice, a living sacrifice who would come, a Messiah. So if they would have taken the time to study the old covenant the Old Testament, which they had. How do we know that? Because every Hebrew child was taught them. And Greeks had access to, uh, to synagogues, to these letters. They had access to the truth. So I love people go, well, how would they have known? They didn't have Bibles. Could you stop with that? If you want to know God, just spend time with Him. If you want to know God, you can get a hold of His Word. And that hasn't changed in 5,000 years. There has been scriptures that we can access as his servants, and yes, Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and yes, we know that he didn't know a lot, and revelation over time, understanding God, learning about God over time has taught us a lot more stuff, but they could have gone back to the scriptures to know the truth. They were just lazy. Well, that's not very nice. It may not be nice, but it's true, and if you want to know the heart of followers of God or God's people, go to the base of Mount Sinai where God offered to put a tent of prayer where the people could meet with God right in the middle of the 12 tribes. If you remember from the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, God had all the tribes in a circular, kind of a circular shape, and in the middle he wanted to put his tent of meeting. But the people said, no, 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 we don't want to meet with God. Why don't you put it over here and Moses can meet with God and he can tell us what God says. You see, God always wanted to meet individually with people, but people don't want to meet individually with God. And you know why? Because God's going to tell you what's wrong. God's going to take you places you don't want to go. God's going to discomfort us. And nobody wants that, including your pastor. I would like life to be boring. I'd like us to meet every week in air conditioning that doesn't break down. And I'd like there to be enough money in our giving to pay all of our bills. And I would like us all to live in unity. And I would The problem is we don't grow when it's like that, right? We grow when there's, there's trauma. And James starts his letter by saying, consider it all joy when you go through trials because those trials refine your faith and they teach you to have joy even when it's not a joyous moment. These wicked guys that Peter is concerned about, we're going to come from within them. While they were worried and aware of dangers and threats from the outside, Peter seems more concerned in his second letter for threats that were coming inside. And how were they to protect themselves from these wicked people? 2 Peter 3.18, the first sentence. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there you have it. Grow in your knowledge of God. As you know God better, you'll be able to put life in perspective and your footing will remain sure even if your life is difficult. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I read this this week and I thought about it, my mind immediately went to Hebrews 12, which most of us grew up in in the church. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us what? You know this. Strip off the sin that so easily entangles us, I'm saying it out of the King James Version because that's what I memorized it in, as a child. And then the pastor went on, and we've talked about this before, to teach me how to, get, how to not have sin. Don't listen to the eagles. These are the things I remember. Don't listen to the eagles because it might play backwards and you'll hear toss, natas, toss. So don't listen to the eagles. Burn your records. Any books that have God's name invade is evil. And then they went around all the things that you do. There's only one problem with that. That's not what the text says. This is a classic example where pastors try to get you to work harder. When in reality, it's not a matter of work, it's a matter of focus. Look at the very next section and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2 in Hebrews 12. We do this by what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep that up there for a second. How do we we not get entangled in the sin? By obsessing over Jesus, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I want to point out something that I've never really taught here, although unless we were in Hebrews, but I want to point out, he goes on to say why focusing on Jesus is the answer, because Jesus is the champion who initiated and perfected our faith. That's biblical words, it's kind of lofty, but he's basically saying, and the word perfecting our faith means he completed it. So why do I keep my eyes on Jesus? Because he's the one who saved me and he's the one who's working in me and he's the one who keeps me from sin. He's the champion. Oh yeah, that's a sports analogy. It's a sports analogy in that not only did he run the race on our behalf, but he won the race on our behalf. And while guys like me and books that you read that you buy at Christian bookstores keep telling you five steps to spiritual health, five steps to being a man of God, 17 steps, there's only one. Put your eyes on Jesus. And at the end of his letter, when Peter was genuinely concerned that he was dying and these sure-footed, faithful believers would then be easily dismayed, he wrote 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, his final thoughts. I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. We need to put more coffee in our coffee. Because what happens is, as we go to church and we study the scriptures and we listen to people online, we are so inundated with this. When we hear the end of this verse, All Glory to Him, both now and forever, Amen. We kind of go, Amen. But you realize that's the point. You see, today the glory goes to God. Tomorrow the glory is going to go to God. Next week, when my spiritual cousin is fed to a lion. Next week, when my daughter goes to Dallas when she struggles with sin, when she struggles in life, when my, my kids and my grandsons struggle in life, all glory still goes to God. And we've heard it so much and sing it so much, it's like, hey. what's for lunch? Oh, that's right. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Honey, I want chicken. Hey, by the way, I can solve that for you. Brookshire's has the best chicken in town. I, it's so good. Don't even eat the meat, just eat the skin so good. We got visitors this morning. Not only do you get the Word of God, but you get free eating tips. So this is like, you know, you don't even have to pay to be here. It's just such a good service, I I admit myself. The the, the fact is, you guys, that Jesus is everything, and I, I I know that's so old, and I know it's boring, but He really, really is, and it's time for us not only to say it, but to act like it. I mean, I think Peter, who's about to die, can't help himself. And he goes, all glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. So be it. Yes. Agree with me. The word amen simply means, yes, that's true. It's like yeehaw in a rodeo. yippee i ki It's the same thing. It's like, yes. And there are, there are places in Romans where Paul's writing this amazing letter about God's grace. And he loses his thought. And he goes off on this kind of thought, oh, glory now and forever, amen, to, to the almighty, gracious, and loving God. It's almost like he remembers who he is in light of God. And what's happened is this has become um, so, uh, we've become so Christianized that we've lost this, oh my gosh, without him, I'm really, really, really in trouble. I, I uh, man, I love you guys. Seriously. When I read, uh, when I look around at the church and I see conflict in the church and the relationship between pastors and flocks and, and I'm so thankful for you guys. But if all we do is enjoy each other in this life and we miss God in it, we've missed everything. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that they had waited for since... In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, I'm, uh, the serpent may bite your heel and bruise you, but I'm going to crush his head. He was the one we waited for, and he is the one we look back on, and he is the one that will greet us when we get there. And I know, family, you know that Julie and I love East Texas, we, we I remember when we lived up in Ohio, and she get. She was a subscriber of Southern Magazine. She always wanted to live down here until we found out the love bugs and the heat. That is just, this heat is just, I want you to know that I will drive up north and not show up on a Sunday if my air conditioning goes out. It's hot. Some of you are like, well, when, my, when I was a child, it was this hot, and we walked in the snow, uphill both ways. Knock it off. You're lying. It's never been this hot before in the history. And I've been to the desert, 120 degrees in Palm Springs, California. I grew up there. It's a dry heat. You cook a turkey in dry heat. It's still hot. But if all we do is have a good time and we miss Jesus, and I don't don't mean miss Jesus completely, but if we, we take Jesus and we make him that big and we make ourselves this big, if we have effective missions and programming but we don't offer everybody Jesus, we are missing everything. Because in a hundred years, the only thing that will give hope is what gave people hope a hundred years ago in Peter's time, and that is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and I know, let me just say that in light of everything else that is being said from pulpits today, it sounds kind of boring, but I want you to know something, it's everything. And so my question this week the Holy Spirit had for me and I asked for you this morning is, are you serious about being serious about your relationship with God? Let me try that again. Are you serious about being serious about your relationship with God? I I, I think if I went through this room, and I know most of you, I I can tell your stories, we've talked, and I think most of you in this room, most of you online, you're serious about God. My question now is, are you serious about being serious about God? Because if you're serious about being serious about God, And all the other stuff that we thought would save us including politics and arguing with our neighbors and building walls around our houses and homeschooling our kids or whatever else we do and there's nothing wrong with any of those things but those have become our focus of safety if it's other than Jesus we are missing our mission we are misfocused if you are serious about being serious about God if I am serious about being serious about God then I must grow in my grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and how do we do that? Psalm 105. Jesus Christ has to be a lamp that guides our feet and a light for our path. I know some of you are reading that and going, your word. Well, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, this is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 says that, and he was talking about the Old Testament. You've got to know God. I mean, you've got to really, really know God. Not like put him outside the camp and expect Pastor Mark to know God and tell you about him. That's like moving in with your mother-in-law and expecting to learn about your spouse. Nobody wants to live with their mother-in-law. Except for me if she's listening to this message. But the truth is, if I want to get to know Julie, I don't move in with my mother-in-law. I move in with Julie. If Julie wants to get to know me, what a nightmare for her. She's going to have to move in with me. She can read books about me. There's no books. If I built a Wikipedia, if if I did all these things and wrote, if people told her what I was like, but she didn't move in with me, she wouldn't know me. And I want to know, are you serious about seriously knowing God? If you do, you can't keep listening to what other people say about God. You can add that to it, but your primary piece of information is God himself through his word. Look, I could go on reading verses that you know about being in God's Word and growing in your knowledge of God and keeping focused, but you already know those verses. And so let me just throw out some excuses that Satan's going to whisper in your ear about being in God's Word more. I'm not a seminary student. I don't understand it. I'm bored with the Bible. Nobody here would admit that, but we all think it. I don't know where to start. I don't understand most of it and certainly don't understand how those old verses apply to my life. I'm too busy ministering to spend time with God. <laughs> I've been there. I'm laughing because I've been there. Sometimes God gets in my way when i want to, when I got work to do. And those of you who are raising kids, <laughs> good luck. Here's what happens when you're done raising those kids you've done your work. They finally become of age whether you're friends and then they abandon you and they're happy about it. Kids are instinctively evil. They really are. All that money you spent on them and they move to Dallas. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying <laughs> it's just not very nice. I should have spent more time getting to know Julie, I guess. I'm just kidding, sweetheart. I'm looking forward to our time, our time alone, our endless, endless, every night, just you and me fighting over your wonderful black and white movies that are great. We watched Casablanca yesterday. It wasn't John Wayne. (laughs) We're going to have a great life together, sweetheart. Seriously. She goes on a diet, I'm immediately on a diet. Goodbye, red meat. (laughs) Okay, back to the text. (laughs) The, the, The fact is, there's time to do whatever you want to do. Go out with the girls and have a glass of wine, there's time to do that. You're going to have to make a priority. Guys, there's time to fish. And there's tools. Here's what's really cool. Nobody said you just have to read it. There's nothing magical about that. How about putting it on on a Bluetooth speaker and just listening to Scripture? You see, what I found after being with Bible school and seminary, what I found is What God didn't necessarily want me to do until I'm preparing to preach is study, like I'm getting a doctorate in a book. He just wants me to learn about him. And how do I know about him? It's not by deep study using Logos software or 15 books in front of me. It's reading it. And right now, some of you are going, I I, I can do that, but I don't understand it. Well, that's because you only read it once. You see, here's the hard part. You really want to know what Ephesians says? You should find 30 minutes every day for seven days in a corner when the kids are in bed and close the door in your closet, put on soft music and read it in one sitting. Turn your phone off, no texting. Some memes, if they come from the pastor, you can look at. But other than that, just read it. Don't stop when you don't understand chapter two on the mystery. Just keep going. I promise by the end of seven days, you will know why it's written. You'll know what he's writing about. There will still be stuff you don't understand, and then you can start reading reading it more. But here's the thing. These are letters. And they've been translated. All right, some of you are, this is really going to set some of you off, but take a breath. Don't do it in the King James Version unless you speak the King's English from 1600s. Read in the New Living Translation. Just read it. These are letters. Read them once a day for seven days or ten days. And then write a note. Why is it written? Well, Paul was concerned that the Gentile believers, blah, 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 you'll learn. What do I learn about God from this? That he saved Gentiles just like he did Jews. And now that we're saved and adopted, how then should we live? It's not complicated, but it does take time, especially when you get to Romans. I told you we're going to teach, learn Romans in the fall. Guess what time it is? It's time for Mark to start reading Romans. I told you in preparation for a book, I read it every day for 30 days prior to that. Well, we're about, we're about 90 days out, and I'm not going to read it straight for 30 days, so I have to start now. But you know what I'm going to do? It takes me 45 minutes to mow my lawn. I should be exercising more than I do and walking my neighborhood. So I'm going to put my AirPods on, and I'm going to listen to it. That's how I did 1 Peter. And it was freeing. Why? Because I, I'm not a good reader okay? I told you guys, I still have dyslexia. You could, if you pay attention, you can tell a verse that I just added the morning because you'll notice that I take a word here and I move it here. I still read upside down and backwards unless I really know a text. I struggle with reading. And here's the funny thing. I can read it to you even if I read it well and I don't comprehend it because that's how my brain works. But I listen to it and I am blown away by it, especially the second, third, 10th, 14th time. If you want to know what God says, read it. Not once, not twice, 52 times. 52 times. I mean, that is 52 days. That's a lot. Well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I think sometimes as I throw out, I, you know, let's read through the Bible together in a year. I think people are like, oh, I can't do it in a year, so I'm not even going to start. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not thinking we should read through the Bible in a year. I think we should read through the Bible every year. That's because you're a pastor. No, it's because I'm a child of God and He's my only hope, and I really got to understand Him. I need to understand Him in Deuteronomy and First and 2 Samuel because the same God that dealt with them, the same God that Genesis 1 spoke into creation is the same God that came to the earth and died on the cross for my sin. The God in the Old Testament is angry, only if you had not read the whole story. He's not angry. He's gracious, but He is a judge. Are you following me in this? Read it. And when you get to Song of Solomon, read it with your spouse. I know, it's not very exciting. The whole fawn thing throws me off too. So I know who's read that book. Because they just giggled. (laughs) It's a sex book. Between a husband and two of his favorite out of 900 and some wives. Well, that's pretty messed up. Then just jump to Ecclesiastes. It's fine. He's got some great things in there to say. Is life discouraging for you? Read Ecclesiastes. It was to Solomon. He's at the end of his life, and he's a failure. And he doesn't want his sons to make the same mistakes he did. So he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is confusing. Not if you understand that this is a dad who wants his boys to not make the same mistakes. Read it and teach it to your children. Take one proverb a day and pass it on. Okay, I'm killing this. Are we all on the same page? If you want to know God, don't trust Moses. Get to know God yourself. And that was Peter's concern. And that's what I leave you with today. So, some of you are still going, but I don't know where to start. First of all, don't start at Genesis, start at John. Read the Gospel of John every day for 10 days. Or read half of it. I think you need to read the whole thing together. You can do that. Or listen to it. But second of all, Carpenter's Way has restructured herself our family, our local body, the leaders, the elders of this church, has restructured this church to be a nonstop conversation about God's Word 98.9% of the time. Wednesday night is our exception. Wednesday night we talk about the Word of God, but how to live. How do we, it's, it's a free question and answer time based upon scripture and context and culture. How do I live in this culture? So it's a practical conversation. Kip and I who lead it, we were talking last night, last Wednesday night with our group. We really felt like there needs to be a place where you can dialogue with the pastor and wrestle with the pastor and disagree. And we can talk about politically incorrect things without freaking the world out. That's what Wednesday night is. But everything else we do, how many women's Bible studies do you have? Like five, something like that? Just exaggerate, 32. There's four, like I said, between four and 32 women's Bible studies. The reason she doesn't know is because sometimes there's six and sometimes there's three. But during the week, there's, uh, there's one on Wednesday during the day. There is one on Sunday night and another one on Wednesday. They're just different Wednesday evenings. That's right. Heather's got one on Wednesday evening. And, and they're different. Heather's, Heather's literally walking through the Bible with her group right now. Julie right now isn't doing a Bible study. So here's what we're trying to do. And I've got, I'll be done in 10 minutes. But I want to explain why we program the way we do because it feeds into this. But on when, uh, on, our rule is, for these Bible studies, 80% of the time at least, you need to be in God's Word, doing a, verse, doing a book study. 20% of the time, you can read a book about God's Word, but understand that a little heresy is good for the soul, so disagree with the authors. It's okay to disagree. It doesn't mean you hate Beth Moore. just means she's human. And so it's a dialogue on those things from Scripture. Men, Every Tuesday morning at 6.30, that's so early. Would it be early if it was hunting? Sorry. But 6.30 every Tuesday, Matthew Culbertson is walking us through the Bible, verse by verse, through the Bible. It's going to take a long time. Yeah, the rapture will come before we're done. And then what Matthew's going to do is he's going to start us over because we're never going to stop studying God's Word. And then on Sunday morning, whoever mounts this pulpit, unless there's something very unique, is going to be out of God's Word. Because what we're trying to do is get you in God's Word. And yes, we want to upset you. I want to make you so uncomfortable when I open God's Word, pointing things out, that it drives you to try to prove me wrong. Because I don't like to be wrong. I've studied those controversial things an awful lot. Like David Stone's, this is the fourth time I've used this example in three weeks, David's stone did not kill Goliath. A sword killed Goliath under the power and authority of God. But ignorance keeps saying, I can defeat the giants of my life. Everybody has a giant. I just need five stones. Well, just so you know, the stones only knocked him out. It was his own sword that cut his head off. So you should read the story before you start making memes about that. It shows your ignorance. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to somebody on the internet. Know God's word. You want to know about depression? Study Elijah's life. That was deeply depressed. It talks about all those things, but you got to read it to understand it. So we have these Bible studies, Tuesday men's. Uh, Clay Alverson, it has these six weeks and then a break, right Clay? He's got these series that he's doing on what it means to be a godly man. And that's an outlier as well because it's going to be on Scripture's mandate for men to be a husband and a father and a, and a faithful employer or employee. And, and there's like these six-week studies, then he takes a break, and then it's another study on being a godly man. That happens every, sun, every Sunday uh, at, after worship out there so you can study his word. Then we have seven, or study that idea. Then we have seven different Bible study groups that are, that are not men-women oriented. They're just basically together and studying God's Word, disagreeing, taking the text I taught and, and talking about it. Actually, there are also two Sunday morning women's Bible studies as well. Tyler leads one, and also uh, it's during the second hour, and also Melinda Brevard leads one. This is why I don't name names. I start forgetting stuff. There are plenty of opportunities for you to learn about God from other people from His Word. Why? Why? Because Peter says that's the only thing that will keep us steady. God's Word. So that's what we do here. That's all we do here. That's all we do. Is get you into God's Word and encourage each other. I am blessed to have a wife that I can have theological conversations with. Some of you are single and you can't have that with your spouse. Some of you are married to somebody who doesn't walk with God, so you can't have that dialogue of what God is teaching you. A lot of you are blessed with that. But we want to create an environment, a family, where we can dialogue, disagree, and walk out agreeing on Scripture. Because guess what? Every one of us here has prejudices that we need to be refined by the Word of God. Do you understand? And that's all Peter was saying in his whole letters, either of them. He told them in the first letter to keep your eyes on, on Jesus and put your hope in the future kingdom that's coming. And in the second letter, he goes, oh man, I'm going to die. And I've been telling you to keep your eyes on the future kingdom. Yes, that's true. But really what I need you to do is understand that among you is going to rise up wolves in sheep's, in shepherd's clothing. And they're going to try to distract you sounding good. They're going to use Pauline verses that you don't understand in order to make the case for their cult-like heretical doctrine. And you need to know the doctrine of God for yourself so you can smell it when it's wrong. And by the way, that hasn't changed It's the same thing that's going on today in Christendom, and we need to get back to God's Word. We just do. And I want you to know that as I leave this letter this morning, I'm twice as committed to teaching you God's Word as I ever have been before. Next Sunday, I'm going to do my thoughts on what we've been learning and on how we are, because some of you have been asking, so are you saying that we should not be involved in the United States of America since you seem to say that we should first focus on the kingdom? I'm not saying that. There's a passage of Scripture that actually addresses that. So next Sunday we're going to talk about that. How can I, as a citizen of the kingdom who wants to prioritize that, who wants to seek first the kingdom of God, how can I be a good American? That's next week's message. You've been wanting to, some of you have been wanting to hear my thoughts on politics. You're not going to hear my thoughts. Come on, son, come forward. I'm just kidding. Next week, we're going to talk about that from Scripture. What can I do to bless this country? So we're going to talk about that next week. The following week, we're going to do something I've never done. I've always wanted to do it. And we are going to take four weeks to go through the Lord's Prayer. And and we're going to look at it. We're going to tear it apart. And I think we'll be blessed and surprised at what it says about that, what that prayer actually says. So I'm excited about that. And then we'll be neck deep in the fall, and we will jump into Romans, which will be phenomenal. Why? Because I didn't write it. It's just Paul. God, and it's so good. And all this will be right from Scripture, including next week. Be right from Scripture. So let's be serious about being serious and get into God's Word. Stop being merely fed like by people like me. Get to know God by moving in with Him. And men, that doesn't mean you have to get up an hour morning. Put it on your car as you're driving to work. Listen to the Scripture. Listen to it in your ear pot or your whatever while you're walking. Get to know God for yourself. If your eyes are on the church, you're going to be deeply disappointed. But if your eyes are on Jesus, you'll have so much joy. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the relevance of Peter's letters. And uh, Father, we can look around us and see that the same thing Peter was concerned about are happening in our world today. And so, Father, I pray for us as a family, as a family of faith here at Carpenter's Way, that you would keep us obsessed with you, not even just the Bible, but what we learn of you from the Scriptures and that the Holy Spirit inside of us would illuminate us and help us to understand how we apply that to our daily lives. And I know, Lord Jesus, there are some tired moms here. There are some tired dads. There are some broke people, people who are wondering how they're going to pay their bills. But Lord, above all that, God promises to provide our needs and our strength according to His riches and glory. So, Lord Jesus, may we look higher than we've ever looked before. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always... At the end of our service, there's a communion elements over here. If you and your spouse or yourself, you want to spend a moment talking to the Lord about something He's talking to you about, you may do that. If you'd like to talk with me, I'll be up here after. God bless you guys. Keep the AC on.